Welcome, I'm Ryan Hicks, and this is Modern Business, the podcast to learn from franchise business leaders and explore new business technology. Our community is about sharing knowledge and tools that help us achieve our goals in business and beyond. Thanks for being here, and welcome to Modern Business. This podcast and this summer tour would not be possible without our sponsors, so please check them out, go to their websites, listen to their value propositions, and consider doing business with them. And now, a word from our sponsors. Today's podcast is brought to you by the International Franchise Professionals Group, the world's largest and most respected franchise consultant organization. IFPG's nearly 1,000 members consist of franchisors, franchise consultants, brokers, lenders, franchise attorneys, real estate experts, and other franchise professionals who help individuals through the process of evaluating, buying, and opening a franchise. As a membership-based organization, the IFPG does not participate in any referral fees from franchisor members or brokers, thereby allowing all members to work freely together. The IFPG provides all the tools and support needed to help sell more franchises and close more deals. Far beyond just a network of franchise professionals, the IFPG is a family of established, experienced, and highly professional members of the global franchise community. To learn more, go to IFPG.org. That's IFPG.org. Welcome to a special edition of Modern Business Podcast during the Franchisors.com Summer Tour. I'm your guest host, Red Boswell, president of IFPG, the International Franchise Professionals Group. IFPG is a proud sponsor of Franchisors.com Summer Tour. Well, we're joined today by my good friend, Justin Livingston. Justin is vice president of franchise development for One Cannabis. Yes, you heard me right, One Cannabis. This is probably the most talked about, most fascinating new franchisor to come along in a long time. Justin, welcome to the call today. Thanks, Brad. Appreciate you having us. Excited to be on here. So lots to talk about, man. I'm sure this is going to be probably the most listened to of any of the podcasts on this tour. So many of our brokers, you know, IFPG has close to 500 consultants. They're all asking about you. In fact, we flew about, I don't know, 15 or so out to your corporate offices in Denver recently. Yeah. Had a incredible time. Thank you for having us out there. Absolutely. It was a blast. It was super impressive. They really, really had it together. I'm thinking before I went that this is the Wild West, and I just didn't know what to expect. If we were going to walk into your your growing rooms, which are these gigantic, you know, mega football size football stadiums, basically indoors with with plants growing everywhere, I didn't know if I'd see a bunch of Cheech and Chongs over on the side, you know, sampling <laughs> the product, or or what would happen. So, how did this come about? You know, I think. Uh... First of all, I think it's funny. Everybody thinks that. I thought the same thing. And one of the things that's amazed me the most is how absolutely professional this industry is. Every trade show, look, there's a fair amount of product. Don't get me wrong. But every trade show, every group that you talk to, every business, it's really a lot of really professional folks who are just trying to get a piece of this first bite of the apple, right? Because it is a bit Wild West, um, but it's, it's really becoming more and more standardized. And we'll, I'm sure, talk about that here shortly about why we're doing what we're doing in franchising, but some of the stigma is dropping, and these are a bunch of people who are taking part in a really incredible emerging industry. Yeah. Well, I had a, I had a flashback, and I had to hold back the giggles whenever you said, there's plenty of product. I, I felt like I was in college again. <laughs> hey, man, you got the product? 
<laughs> yeah, right, exactly. We always got the product. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you do. My goodness, you got about the biggest growing – what's it called? What's the big building we visited called? So the, the cultivation facility. So we've got 118,000 square foot of cannabis. That's the, the tour that you guys did. And, yeah, it's a lot of weed, man. Oh, it is. Okay, so obviously uh, you'd have to be living under a rock not to know what's going on in the world as I think I heard – maybe it was you I heard a while back, and I thought this was a perfect analogy. This is like – this new – this industry that is finally coming of age is sort of like the internet was 20 or 25 years ago. Everybody knows it's coming. Their eyes are open. They're wondering how is it going to all play out, and you're at the front of it all. Yeah, it is. It's an interesting thing. No matter where you're at in your uh, in your stage of, of career or stage of life, this is one of those once in a lifetime opportunities. And you know, people said, "Oh, the internet's going to be a fad, right? It's, it's, it's going to come and go. There's no way that it's going to be that helpful." And and now look where we are. And uh, so between the internet and people likening this to kind of that post prohibition era with alcohol, that's kind of where we're at. And we are at the beginning. We, you know, we're, we're pioneering this in, in many, many regards. Um, from the cannabis side, our team, our founder, Christian, he's been doing this for a decade, which is about as long as you can say you've been in legal cannabis. So he's really one of the day one guys. He's literally written the book. It's called Big Weed. He literally wrote the book on, on, on his journey in this industry. And to think that we've come all the way from those days to being uh, the first, the biggest, the best franchise in cannabis is, is really, really exciting. It certainly turns a lot of heads. Well, it, it certainly does, and the, the buzz is buzz. Sorry, um, pun intended. The the buzz is big about what one cannabis is doing. So there's a lot of ways you could have grown this, just like with any franchise. Or do we want to do it licensing? Do we want to do franchising? Do we want to do it corporately? Corporately owned stores get big money to back us and try to roll it out one store at a time. So why did y'all decide on franchising? How did that come about? Yeah, I love this question, and it's it's a really kind of a multi-pronged answer. First of all, I'm a franchise guy. Mike Weinberger, who a lot of people know, he's a franchise guy, and so bringing kind of our franchise world into this cannabis world, two worlds that have never met, is, is part of the adventure, right? Uh, it's something that we get to do, again, talk about first, uh, you know, being able to go to our our franchise family of brands across many industries and many companies and say, guess what we're doing, and have everybody in the room go, huh, didn't know that was possible, is pretty cool, right? But uh, franchising for us, lots of different motivations. One, franchising as a growth vehicle, certainly one of our number one motivations. This is an industry we're all brand guys in franchising, right? We want to build a brand. We want to have consistency in brand, consistency in experience, consistency in product. None of that exists in cannabis. It's a really ultra-fragmented industry, lots of one-offs, no real brand players. And so for us, to be able to kind of pioneer the industry into some stabilization and some branding and all the, the wonderful things that franchising is about is really, really exciting. And on the flip side of it, franchising at its core, we're all in this to help people, right, to help lower barriers of entry, to help get people into an industry that they otherwise perhaps couldn't get into or would have a hard time being successful. 
And I'm telling you, Red, this is complicated. There are lots of hurdles. There are lots of million-dollar mistakes. There are lots of barriers to entry starting at the very beginning and through the life of this industry and in running operations in this industry. Our job as franchise people, franchisors, is to create the recipes and the ingredients and the processes and systems and teams and support based on a decade of doing this to help people in, to help usher folks in. We're kind of the pioneers, and we've taken the arrows, and we're ready to usher people in and help the settlers get land, right, and helping people enter this industry and take advantage of these incredible opportunities to be a part of something new. And some of the, the financial opportunities in this industry are unlike anything I've ever seen. And helping people be a part of that is something really special. Got it. Well, it's definitely special um, and very unique. And uh, again, has so much, uh, so many people talking. So what is the franchise itself? Are we talking about you're buying a distribution? Uh, what do y'all provide versus what is the franchisee ultimately going to be opening? Yeah, so, so sometimes, and I say probably more than anything else, uh, it's complicated, <laughs> and many of my answers start that way. And it can be complicated here because state by state, the requirements may change. Sometimes vertical integration is a requirement. Sometimes vertical integration is illegal. But the reality is our franchise, a normal franchise, and how this is going to continue forward as states begin to come on board and adopt both medical and adult use policies, is, is distribution, uh, you know, retail. So dispensaries that are much like, um, you know, liquor stores is probably the best analogy where you walk in, and if you're not from a state, you're probably going, yeah, that doesn't exist. It does, I promise. You walk in, uh, you figure out what you want, uh, how you want to consume it, and you buy it and you leave. And so those retail dispensaries is really what this franchise is all about. Re okay, retail dispensary. Dispensary is the name for the retail location you can buy cannabis. Got it. <laughs> and yep. And I thought it was funny you shared that even today with the open dispensaries you've got in your um, in your organization, people come in with cash. It's this, is that that's yeah. the that's how they do it. Old habits die hard. <laughs> but um, so. I hear the objection as I've talked about it. This is one of those fun over the water, uh, water cooler or over a dinner with friends topics that I'll bring up. And they're like, well, how, you know, a lot of people don't have cash. They don't carry cash or maybe it's not a habit and they're new to it, but they want to yeah. uh, develop a habit. They want to do it for health reasons. How do you take credit cards? So that. It's complicated. See, told you that would come back. Uh, so it, it's complicated, and it varies not only from state to state, but even by by the moment. So we we as a company have been cash only before, uh, and then we've had opportunities where we're not cash only, and cash only can really span from the day where there really was no banking period uh, to, listen, we're going to take cash in the stores, but we now have armored trucks that come to the store, they pick up, they go deposit in our bank, and it's relatively normal business practices. But in the store, oftentimes, uh, we're in a position where we can only take cash. Uh, and really, it's about kind of the federal the federal nature of banking, right, and credit card processing, and this is not federally legal. So we don't oftentimes have options to do anything other than cash. The simple solution for us is that all of our lobbies have an ATM, so you can always go mm. get cash. 
Uh, and, and what I found is that people, people don't care. When you come in, you go, oh, I'm sorry, we only take cash. We have an ATM. They go, okay. It doesn't really matter as much as I thought it would, to be honest. Um, but we do have, there are programs that are coming, and, and just like anything else in any industry, things evolve and technology evolves. And um, we're getting to a point where we, I think we can pretty start start pretty consistently taking credit cards. Um, we oftentimes can take pen-based cards. You can use it like an ATM card, right? Put your pen in. There was opportunities to use credit cards to buy reloadable gift cards and use those in the stores. So there's lots of avenues that are starting, and I think there's some pretty big players that have started to really figure it out, and we should be able to take normal kind of credit card or debit card processing here pretty quickly. But the reality is... Um, history so far has proven that this is going to be primarily a cash business. And so there's a lot of protocols in place to make sure that you can deal with all of the, the fun things that go along with that. Yeah, that's obvious. And it's impressive the legal team you've got behind you backing folks up and really doing it correctly, because without that, it, w- it would be a miserable disaster. So kudos to you and your team for having the deep pockets to bring on the rock stars and in not only franchising with you and your team, but rock stars in the legal world that know how to do it right, state by state, area by area. So I would think with this gold rush happening, I would think there'd be competition coming. What does that look like? Is there anybody even attempting to do what you're doing? Yeah, so first of all, it's green rush. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Got it. The the gold rush was years ago. It's the green rush now. Uh, So... Yeah, it's it's interesting. We, I mean, you know, we talk about being the first in the biggest cannabis franchise, which is kind of like bragging about being the tallest kindergartner, right? Um, <laughs> okay, good for you, you know. And and so this is such an early stage thing. There are lots of people who have or are trying this. We know how complicated it is. We know how complicated it was to navigate even getting a franchise disclosure document and all of the different things. Things that we have to do that are specific to this industry that make franchise people go, what? Because franchising is all about consistency, right? And, and how you do things and registrations and disclosure documents, it's always the same over and over and over, no matter the industry, no matter the concept. It's so one of the really big benefits of franchising is you know what you're getting into. It's complicated here. And so uh, there's a lot of different things that we had to do even to, to be a viable franchise concept. And because we know what it took, we think we've got a pretty good runway before anybody else really figures it out. What you find is people in the cannabis industry sometimes talk about franchising. I even saw a now franchising banner on a website, and I called them and said, wow, good for you. How did you get your uh, FDD done? And they said, my what? So, Cannabis people don't really know franchising yet, and I spent a lot of time at IFA and other franchising events where people talk about, boy, I looked into this or I went down this path, and we just couldn't figure out how to even get a a disclosure document registered or how to get product or how to set up those relationships. So it was kind of the perfect combination of people uh, and and the right capitalization to be able to do this correctly, to, to have the expertise in franchise development and franchise law and franchise operations, as well as all the cannabis pieces kind of together under one 
one dream team to be able to figure it out. And so certainly uh, we were the only cannabis concept, for example, at multi-unit franchise conference or at IFE or, or any event really. My guess is by next year there will be another one or two maybe. Uh, and then the next year there will probably be another couple. And, it, and people are going to figure it out. We're pretty darn smart, but we're not that smart. Uh, so people are going to figure it out for us. We're building with intention and building with real genuine kind of heart to get the right people in and help them and do it for the right reasons so that by the time others figure it out, um, it's okay, right? We've established ourselves. The first is only cool for a minute, and then you have to be the biggest and you have to be the best. And we're, uh, we're on a pretty good trajectory to get there. Yeah, that was obvious by visiting your team and your headquarters. So before we talk about money, and, and the investment and those expectations and requirements, love to get a better understanding of the, and I realize it's complicated, I'll say it for you, the rollout across the nation. And I'll preface that with about, man, it might have been four years ago, three and a half to four years ago, I'm at a franchise consultant conference, retreat, convention, whatever you want to call it, a bunch of brokers around. The, the, and yeah. this guy shows up. Shows up late, comes in, and there's all this buzz. Oh, well, he's whispering. Oh, blah, 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 blah. He's, a, he's the cannabis guy. Oh, man, he's, they're, they're franchising cannabis. I'm like, oh, well, I'm going to go talk to this guy. I'm just curious. I was a franchisor. Wasn't it? You know, I was just fascinated yeah. by, okay, what's going on? And yeah. we're talking, and he's, he said, guarantee you in five years we will be in every state. And I said, really? Have you ever been to Texas? And he goes, it doesn't matter. Five years Every state will be legal. I'm not in the least bit worried. I said, bro, I don't know anything about your industry, but I know Texas. I will put $1,000 of my own money, literally told him this, that you will not be legal in Texas in five years. He shook on it, and I've never seen him since. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's funny. I think uh, I think the thousand dollars when you make a guarantee like that in this industry, a thousand dollars is the least of your problems. <laughs> <laughs> right. Mm. Well, so what does it look like? Uh, can, you know, can you give us a big, a high level idea of your plans and rollout? And someone's in one state versus another. What can they do? Can't do that sort of thing. Yeah. So so I guarantee you that we're going to go to places that it's legal. Uh, <laughs> 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 and, uh, and the good news is, um, though I think his math was flawed, it, it's happening at a rate, considering this is a new industry, this is all new, it's happening at a rate that's it's pretty shocking. When you're on the inside, uh, it, it feels slow, just like anything else when you're in the trenches. But the reality is states are coming on board uh, like crazy. I mean, I think last I looked, there's 33 medical states uh, and, and 11 recreational states, and I'm sure those numbers aren't even right. And I think I looked at it a week ago. It's happening so quickly. It's being adopted so quickly. There's, there's good and bad with that. The good is opportunity is everywhere. And it's increasing. So people that I talk to in states, uh, maybe not Texas, but Texas and Alabama are going to arm wrestle to see who's going to be the last to adopt this, right? So that's okay. (laughs) That's okay. But states are coming on board. And states through the Bible Belt and the Midwest and states that everybody thought would be slow adopters, they're they're on board, right? Missouri is on board. Oklahoma is on board. Illinois is on board. Ohio is on board. Michigan is on board. All those kind of middle of the country, pretty conservative states uh, have, have come on board 
in one respect or another. You start to go down the coast and, and get a little bit further south and east, the Carolinas, Alabama, Georgia, Texas, you know, some of those states, they're, they're not on board. And frankly, only a couple of them are even talking about what that would look like. And, and that's fine. So for us, it's about kind of going where the opportunity presents itself. Also having opportunities for people who do live in states that it's not legal to come, for example, to Colorado, maybe an acquisition model here. So I live in Texas, I want to get into this industry, and I want to be positioned so that when my state goes, I'm ready. And, and I want to start cash flowing. I don't want to wait two years. Uh, we have opportunities in other states, Colorado in particular, because we're here and it's easiest, uh, that you can come on and start here and put yourself in a really good position to be able to take advantage of being an early mover, early adopter in your state when it becomes legal. So I've kind of digressed a little bit. So what we're looking for is opportunities in states that it's legal, when it's legal. We're trying to get ahead of things. Illinois, for example, right now just became recreational adult use. They're have a group of licenses that are uh, applications become available in about five weeks. So we're working like heck right now to get people on board in Illinois who are going to be ready to start applying as soon as that becomes available. And there's other states as well, New Jersey, New York. Um, by the time somebody listens to this a year from now, I'm sure they're going to go, huh, that's funny, all those states are legal now uh, because <laughs> things, change that, things change that quickly. But there's even states that aren't really legal yet but are moving that way. The time to be talking is now. Fortune favors the prepared in this industry like many others. And so folks that are positioned to kind of go to the starting line, the race hasn't started yet, but go to the starting line, strap on your shoes, stretch out, get ready for that starting gun. Uh, that's an important thing in this industry. So right now we're focusing a lot on some of these emerging markets, New York, New Jersey, Illinois, Michigan. Uh, we just submitted an application. Uh, the deadline closed this week in Missouri. There's lots of opportunity in Colorado, but the opportunity here is different. It's an established market, and so it's more of an acquisition model, not new licenses. And by licenses, mm. I mean the ability to actually sell cannabis. Uh, so great opportunities here. We are participating uh, in really, again, kind of pioneering. I guess that's kind of our thing, but we're pioneering uh, what we call our seed department, which is social equity and economic development. So social equity programs are popping up, really born out of Los Angeles. Uh, now in San Francisco, Sacramento, Illinois is adopting it. These are programs that are helping or using this industry to help people in certain uh, geography, certain demographics, certain economic factors uh, to try and help give people a hand up and get into an industry to change their communities. And it's a really cool program, especially in theory. In execution, it needs some help, and, and we're that help. And so we're using that program to really help and do a lot of good and get people into this industry that otherwise in no way could, um, even from a financial standpoint, if nothing else. And what that's going to do not only is help our culture really flourish in doing some good in our communities and being a part of using this industry to do real good in this community and in this world and in this country, uh, but it also allows us to plant some brand flags, right? So it's going to help the franchise side. These two are going to coexist nicely as we begin to build a brand, again, in an industry that doesn't really have any branding. All right. Well, if any, people want to know money. Uh, you know, I got 50 grand. Am I in? Yeah, you're not in. <laughs> you're not, uh, you're, you you're can buy some product. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, let me give you the address of our stores. Um, 
So this is a very expensive industry for, for lots of reasons. The legal cost, uh, the cost of building stores. I, I love when I talk to people who are retail guys, right, career retail guys, and they say there's no way that you guys are building 2,500 square foot stores for this amount of money uh, because I've done it 100 times. And then we talk about, geez, in your stores, did you have this level of security and compliance and safes and vaults and triple locking doors and steel reinforced? And, oh, no. I mean, this is just an expensive industry, right? Inventory is expensive. Build-out is expensive. Technology for inventory management, um, that seed-to-sale tracking, compliance, really, really important. All of these things cost money. The flip, or not the flip side, but the kind of salt in the wound, I guess you'd say, to how expensive this is. And when I say how expensive, we give a pretty big range. We're talking a million, million five. So that's kind of a good starting point. It really is a million, million five at least. Uh, there's opportunities to spend far more money than that, but that's really kind of a good baseline number. And the kicker is there's no loans, right? Banks are federal. It's federally illegal. You can't go get an SBA loan. So even you talk about $50,000, if you have $500,000, in a normal world, you go to the bank, you have a ton of cash, the bank gives you another million five, and you're good to go. doesn't exist here. So this really is a cash play, um, which certainly narrows the field of who can enter this market. And you know, someday I think that'll change. Um, there's some things on the horizon that might free up some banking, which would be pretty amazing. But as of today, at this point in time, I'd say it's a million, million five cash play to get in. All right. So a million, million five is a good estimate, what does someone expect to get for that in a typical state? I realize the, <laughs> it depends and it, it, uh, there's a lot of variables, but how many locations, how many stores, what does that get you? I get you one store. So that gets you a oh. license and all, and all of the process, uh, the legal and the state fees and everything to get your license and it gets your first location up and running. Got it. And so of the folks you're talking to now, and I'm amazed we got you on a call. You and I have been trying to get on a call for for near a month because you're you're on calls back to back and throughout the weekend. I imagine. We are. What are your buyers looking for? I, surely they're not just wanting to do one store, or are they? Well, a little, a kind of a combination. I mean, the reality is there's pros and cons of being expensive, right? And, and some of the pros are, you know, the people that we're talking to that say, yeah, I could do a million, million five, but tell me more. Um, you know, th those are sophisticated buyers and, uh, and oftentimes have access, if not themselves, to networks with, with more money. And so to your point, I think there, that's a fair statement. A lot of folks at this level, this caliber of buyer, um, they don't want to do one store. They don't. They don't want to do a stick build, ground up kind of a thing either. So there's a lot of acquisitions happening in this industry, especially in established markets like Denver. Um, anytime there's a store, there's a store for sale for lots of reasons. Um, not necessarily a bad thing. And so there are people, especially from other states, who are going, okay, if I come to the Denver market, I can buy three or four existing stores, right? I can spend five million and have some actual history and proof, which is something we lack in this industry. When you ask me how much of dispensary is going to do in Illinois that, that a dispensary isn't legal until next January there, there is no crystal ball we're doing some kind mm -hmm. of 
not so much like-like comparisons, but a little bit of apple and orange. I can tell you what's happening in these surrounding markets, but there is no history in your market. So you know, that's a complication, right? Because people are used to being able to look at some really good averages of what's happening in their neighborhood. That just doesn't exist in kind of an early adopting emerging industry. So uh, people are making a play for single units. Uh, there's really amazing money coming out of these dispensaries. Uh, but to your point, you're right. There's a lot of people that are looking at coming in and you know buying territories and, and uh, buying multiple units and even doing different units in different states as state laws change and new states come on board for either medical or adult use. Got it. So there are... I know in your industry, it's very regulated. In franchising, certainly in the U.S., Canada, also very regulated. What are you able or allowed to share with us regarding some of the amazing numbers you shared with me? So I'm not sure if you're allowed to share the same thing with the public about the the income you're seeing some of your early adopters make per square foot and, and with these small footprints. Just Can you share that? See, this is what happens when you share numbers with friends. All uh, these questions come up. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Like anything else in franchising, uh, this is very heavily regulated, right? And so the good news is we built a franchise concept on top of 10 years of experience actually doing this. I'm a big believer that that's how franchises should be built, and we're no exception to that. So we've done this for 10 years. That allows us to have a really cool item 19 or financial performance representation in our franchise disclosure document. And for all you lawyers out there, I won't say any numbers that are not clearly defined in our financial performance representation. There's our, our disclaimer. Um, but yes. the reality is we, we talk about our stores. Uh, we talk about our stores doing about $5.5 million, $5.5 million out of, get this, 1,400 square feet. That, uh, that revenue per square foot is, is <laughs> it's pretty crazy. I had a retail Oof. guy who said, that means it's Apple stores, Lululemon, and then your store. <laughs> And I went, cool. Uh, that's, that's a lot of money out of a little space. And there's a couple things I would say to preface that for people who are going, oh, my God, I have a 1,400-square-foot store. I want to make $5 million. Uh, a couple things. One, this is Colorado. And that doesn't necessarily mean that your emerging market, if there is such a thing and, and you live in such a place, is going to do more or less. It just means that this is a 10-year, well-established market. I think that's an important piece. For folks who are looking at getting into this, uh, with our concept, I'll tell you that 1,400 square feet is too small. If you come here and we're sitting around, uh, there's a really good story of why we have this location. It was really about setbacks and proximity to other locations that you can't be too close to, churches, daycares, uh, liquor stores, other dispensaries, parks, those kinds of things. Um, but but that's our story, we know, which is about a little over twice what the average in Colorado is. Uh, so we're very good at what we do, and, and we're very good at translating that to other markets. The big question mark and the thing that we talk a lot about with prospects who are interested is will those numbers directly to translate to other states? And, and to be honest, the answer is we don't know. There's no history to prove yes or no. As new states are coming on board, you're seeing some of these first dispensaries doing numbers significantly north of that. It's a little bit backwards of what you think of with an emerging business, kind of that hockey stick of we're going to start slow and then start to cruise up. When you open a store selling weed, 
in a state that has not been able to go by weed, you do a whole lot of money. And it kind of works the other way. Then it kind of normalizes and plateaus a little bit. So the opportunity in new states is really, really exciting. And all signs point to those numbers being pretty incredible. You can say that again. Uh, well, um, we've gone way, way over time, and I haven't even noticed. This is such a fascinating topic. I know we'll be listened to by many, and you no doubt have a lot of calls waiting for you to call them back. So as we wrap it up, am I going to see you in about a month, month and a half at the IFB, IFPG retreat in October? I would not miss IFPG and Margaritaville for anything. <laughs> What's the next name? So we have the Margaritaville. Uh, is it going to be like a Cannabisville at some point? Ooh, maybe it <laughs> will. We've got to start working on that. <laughs> planet Hollywood, Planet Cannabis. Um, all right, so I'm looking forward to seeing you there. Anything else we need to know about One Cannabis and how you're taking over this cool new industry? You know, I think it's always hard to have – parting words, but I think, especially me, because I can never shut up, but I think it's really about embracing how exciting this new opportunity is, and it's also about realizing what, I, what even I had to go see for myself, which is that this is an industry where the business opportunity is incredible. You said it earlier when you came to, the, to our, our cultivation facility, like, what am I going to find, right? Is everybody going to be around smoking pot? Even states, I think, have that same hesitation in legalization as what's going to happen when people here can smoke weed, Right? Is crime going to go up? No, crime goes down. What's going to happen to the opioid crisis? It goes down. Are kids going to get high? No, there's packaging that, uh, that eliminates that. This is a normal industry, and it's coming. It's coming hot. And so I think as people really embrace and the stigma changes and we realize that people are choosing to bring this into their home for recreation or medicinally, uh, it's just an exciting time to be right on the cusp of something that is going to really change everyday life for, for many of us in this country and for us to be able to pioneer the way that's done, the way that's presented, and help bring people, usher people into this industry to take advantage of business opportunities. It's the most exciting thing it's, uh, that, that's on the market today, that's for sure. It is, it is exciting. And, you know, if it was just about the recreational use, I would be a little bit annoyed by it personally. But the <laughs> fact that it's got so much medicinal powers and the, the, the normal population is finally realizing that uh, is, is flat out exciting because you are changing lives and really giving people a much better quality of life. So I uh, love what you guys are doing. Justin, before we go, how if someone wants to learn more, where do they learn more? How do they learn more? How do they get hold of you and your team? Yeah, absolutely. So you can find more information on our website, which is OCG Inc. That's O-C-G-I-N-C. What's one cannabis group? OCGinc.com. You can always give us a call directly at 720-222-0500. And my email is always open, justin at OCGinc.com. And today we're joined by Justin Livingston, Vice President of Franchise Development for One Cannabis. And you've been uh, part of a special edition of Modern Business Podcast during the Franchisors.com Summer Tour. I'm your guest host, Red Boswell, President of the IFPG. Thank you for joining us today. Justin, thank you so much for your time. Look forward to seeing you in a couple months and on the road and changing lives. Thanks, Fred. Appreciate you. You got it, brother. Thank you. 